0: Let us pray and will you pray after me. Dear God, we are here to hear your word, to understand your word, to receive what you have for us. Open my mind, open my heart, connect my spirit with your spirit, that I may truly be. Follower of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a parent, you learn many things, right? As your kids are growing up and you do things, you're like, oh, that worked or that didn't work. And one of the things I learned is about discipline. You know, it's not always good to always have negative discipline. What I mean by that is when, when the, your child does something wrong, the negative discipline would be to punish them in some way, to take something away, or to make them do something to appease for what uh, the wrongdoing they had done. But sometimes it's important to show them grace. Let me give you an example. And again, when, whenever you hear examples, when I give my, my family, I always have permission from them. <laughs> I always ask them, for, some, you might wonder, oh, does Tyler know you're going to say this about him? I always ask permission, so you can rest assured that my family has been uh, made aware that I'm going to do this. So, I'm going to give an example Well, Tyler. Tyler, when he was younger, and he was in school, and he was doing really well in school, and then all of a sudden, his grades dropped a little bit. Now, you don't always worry about that as a parent, but... You know, there was something about it that didn't seem right. And so we kind of monitored it, and we realized that instead of studying, Tyler was playing his video games. And his grades began to suffer. He wasn't putting in the time and the effort. And so at first we took away his video games and said, no video games. But then we realized that that didn't really impact him that much. It didn't really change his attitude towards his school. So then Tammy and I talked about it, and we thought, you know... Why don't we give him back the video games and encourage him that you're getting these back, even though you don't deserve it, but we know that you're going to work hard in school. And that positive reinforcement, that showing grace, that showing love to Tyler, motivated him to start working and studying and, and doing better, in his grades improved. Sometimes grace is needed. Yes? Yes. See... Grace is receiving a gift, even though we don't deserve it. Let me say that again. Grace is receiving a gift, even though we don't deserve it. And the missive is not earning his video time. We gave it to him as a show of our love. So this morning, as we continue in our eco tenets of faith, of course, the tenants of faith are the foundational Christian truths that we are to know and believe and the eco tenets of faith of those that we have for our de- denomination. Today we're going to look at how real and wonderful God's grace is to us. As the Bible opens, as you open the book of the Bible, as you open the Bible to the very first book, Genesis chapter one, as you begin to read in Genesis chapter one, you see that God has chosen to create something out of nothing. He decided to create all of this out of His love and his grace for us. We didn't do anything to deserve it because at that point, humans didn't even exist, right? He did it in anticipation of what we are going to experience through his love, through his creation. He created the stars, and the moon, and the sun, and the plants, and the dry ground, and the atmospheres, and the heavens. On day five, he created the birds and the sea animals. On day six, he created the land animals, culminating with the creating of humans. Out of his love, he created man and woman in his image and the earth to be a blessing to all people. Even more, he created us to be in relationship with him. However, in time, Adam and Eve sinned, They chose evil over good, selfishness instead of grace, as we were created to show God's grace to one another, yet they chose not to show that grace because of the sin that came into the world. This ability was broken when sin came into the world. Remember, after each day God created what he created, and he looked at it and said, it is good. And he created us to enjoy this goodness. And now humanity was in a state of sin and no longer wanted only good. They wanted to know evil as well. After they sinned, they saw themselves as naked and they felt guilty and they hid from God. And then later we see that Cain kills his brother Abel. And on and on, sin rears its evil head more and more in the world. why God created humanity, it's easy to understand. First of all, he created us to be in relationship with him and to be re- in relationship with one another. God created us to worship him. So if you ever wonder, why did God create humankind? These are the reasons. He created us to be in relationship with him and one another. He created us to worship him and bless one another. He created us to be in a relationship so that we can strengthen our ability to serve him and to serve one another. Yet sin touched this part of creation as well. Our relationships became sinful and selfish and tyrannical. As you look around the world, you see much tyranny and injustice going on. This is not how God designed for us to be in relationship. Something needed to be done. Now God could have Gone in many different directions, but He chose grace. Right there in the garden, God came up with a plan to save us, even though humanity had done nothing to deserve this grace of God. This plan is explained in brief in Genesis 3:15, where God says, and he's speaking to the serpent. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The offspring referred to here is Jesus Christ. The striking of the heel is the crucifixion where Jesus is killed and it seems like an apparent victory to Satan, but the crushing of the head is when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, coming back to life, winning a victory over sin and death and gaining salvation for us. Jesus left heaven to take on flesh, joining us in our misery, yet offering himself up on the cross. He took our place, bearing our punishment, in order to free us from the slavery of sin and death. We're told in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and when you see the yellow, read with me. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The gift of God is grace, salvation to all who believe. I've met many children who have been adopt, adopted, and as I talk with them, the, over, the overriding feeling and opinion of those who are adopted is that they feel blessed to have been chosen by their adopted family, They didn't have a family, and now they have a family. They didn't feel fully loved, and now they feel fully loved. Their lives have been transformed by the choosing of them into this new family. When we are saved in Christ, we are brought into union with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through this union, we are brought into a right relation with the Father, who then receives as his adopted children. Romans 8, 15-17. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The word sonship tells us that we have full legal standing as the adopted children of God. By God's grace, we have adoption into the family of God through Jesus. And only through Jesus can we receive this adoption. I have heard stories from a number of you that uh, in the Asian culture, um, in general, oftentimes a father's role is not that of real connection and intimacy. There's, there's a little distance. Uh, the love that is shown is maybe in the, in the working and the providing, but not necessarily in being really closely um, involved with the children. Now, I know that's a generalization, but there's that sense that the father's role is to to provide, and the mother's role is to give the nurturing and the caring and the loving and and the concern. And oftentimes you see that people think of God in this general way. That God is distant, that God is uncaring, that God is not personal. But that is so far from the truth. The truth is God is very personal. God is very intimate in his love. God cares about your life. God cares about what you do. God cares about how you feel. God cares about the decisions you make. God cares about what is going on in your life, the highs and the lows. God cares for you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die, to dwell among this earth, and then to die for us. There's no more personal experience than that, the giving of his life on our behalf. So that we would not perish, but be saved. Even more in his intimate love, he shows us that we are individual, individually his children. He calls us by name. We are precious to him. God's grace further is shown in his acceptance of us, and that he did not reject us, but reach out to restore us. In that relationship, right? He could have rejected us when we sinned, when we go astray. God could easily just say, oh, that person's gone, and reject us. But he doesn't. He draws us back to himself. He transforms our life so that we could live into that image in which we have been created, but had been marred by sin, and now is restored through Jesus Christ so that we can be capable of holy living. Wonderful and Amazing. Along with that, in the second part, I want to talk about uh, in the Eco section two, starts about the selection of selecting us for salvation and service. God's election, God's selection of us as His children for salvation and service. Maybe some of you remember, like me, in the days of elementary school, right? You go out for recess or you go out for. Uh, lunch, and you, inevitably you'd play kickball, right? But you have to pick teams. And so how do you pick teams, right? You choose two captains, and one by one they start choosing people, right? They call out their name. I want Victor. I want Doug, right? And they start calling, calling us by name. Now, for some of you, this may have been a very traumatic experience, especially if you're one of those that you didn't get chosen right away, right? And so you're waiting for You're hoping for your name to be called, and Chris doesn't get called, right? That's traumatic when you're... But think about the, the part that is wonderful is, is someone saying, I want Dorothy on my team. And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. They want me. They call my name. They want me. There's something very wonderful, very personal, very powerful about someone calling you by name, choosing you and saying, I want you on my team. Do you know that's what God does? God calls us to be on his team. The truth is, though, is that we cannot accept or reject God on our own, by our own free will. God gives us the invitation to salvation, but we cannot respond by our own power because we are lost in our sin. God chooses us in his grace, not because of anything we have done on our part, but because of his love, and his mercy. This is deciding that God chose us. We are told in Ephesians 1:4, just as He chose us before the foundation of the world, we have been chosen by God. Called by name. Come to me. I want you on my team. I want you a part of my family. I want you in my kingdom. I want you to live with me for eternity. I want you to have my my presence in your life on this earth so that you could live the life I have called you to live. God calls us by name. God chooses us. Yet we must have the Spirit of God prompt us and draw us to his love and grace. As we feel that tugging of God on our hearts, we then see the life that we have is not the the life that God created us to have. As our sinfulness keeps us from that, We then begin to understand more clearly that only if we take a step towards God and say, yes, God, I want what you have for me. Yes, I know, God, that it comes in my faith in Jesus. As we take that step of faith, he he tugs on our heart, and we take that step of faith toward God. And then God begins to work in our hearts. And we feel that he has chosen us. He has elected us to be his own. Those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord know what I'm talking about, right? You felt the Holy Spirit move in you. You began to see that there was sin in your life. You felt stuck as if you were in quicksand, sinking down. You couldn't move forward. There's nothing you could do on your own power. You needed help to, to be pulled out of that quicksand so that you could move forward. And so all you had to do is call out, Jesus, I believe, I need you, I need your help, I need your salvation. Pull me out of this quicksand so I can move towards you and so that I can be in that relationship with you. In his powerful name, we are released and brought into his presence as we confess our sins and we receive Christ. Looking at it from a different angle, we see that when God's glory and grace and love are shared, it is compelling and it is wonderful. But we are held back by our sin. We are unsure. I think this is like going in and out, isn't it? So hopefully, I don't know. Bothering me, so if it's bothering me, it's probably bothering you. We'll see if this gets better. We're held back by our sin. We're not sure if we can truly believe, if what we hear is true. If we simply call to Jesus, though, he begins to enlighten our mind and soften our heart and renew our will and restore us to that freedom that we had lost in the fall. We are all sinners that fall short of God's glory. This we have seen before. But when we take that step of faith, we see it more clearly. We have to ask God's Spirit to reveal His truth to us. We have to understand that apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ, we are incapable of being in God's presence, incapable of bearing the weight of His glory, incapable of being saved through Jesus. We are enabled to be led into God's very presence, who then transforms us by his divine power. Many of you know that my favorite candy is peanut butter M&M's. In fact, I love my peanut butter M&M's so much that I don't share them. And the reason why I don't share my peanut butter M&M's is because if I share my peanut M&M's, then then they go way faster. And I don't have as many for myself. Now, of course, as I share this with you, it sounds really silly, right? Especially as I speak it out loud. (laughs) And I admit to you that I don't share my peanut butter M&M's. I'll share a lot of things, but I don't know about my peanut butter M&M's. But you know what's silly about that? is I could easily just go to the store and buy lots of peanut butter M&M's, right? I mean, there's plenty around. But there's something within us sometimes that we, we hold on to things and we don't like to share them with others, right? Now, imagine for a moment that I had so much peanut, M, peanut butter M&M's that I could never eat them all. In fact, if I tried to eat them all, I would be sick all the time and I had all these peanut butter M&M's, if I had this abundance of peanut butter M&M's, then I think I would start sharing them. Number one, because, oh, I think they're really good, and I know you would enjoy them too. But secondly, because they would just go to waste if I just sat them on my shelf and didn't share them. There was this abundance of M&M's. I would share them more readily. But see, this is how it is about God's grace. We have received the grace of God. And is giving us his unconditional love and his salvation. And we are then called to share this grace with others freely. We're not to hold on to it. We're not to hoard it. We're not to pretend like it, it's limited. God's grace, God's love is unlimited. God wants us to share that grace with others. Why? Because it's so wonderful. And we know that, God, that people will be blessed when they experience the grace of God secondly, because there's so much of it that God wants others to taste of it. See, this truth is so real and so important to God that God gave us a call, a commission by Jesus to go and to make disciples. You notice that the, the verse starts with a verb, right? The verb is go. We have to go out into the world. We have to go to where there are people are who don't. Jesus, as their Savior and Lord, we have to go with the intention of fulfilling this call that God has given to us. We have to go to share the grace of God with others. We have to take the action and go. Now there are many ways that we can fulfill this call. A couple that Jesus talks about is that we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we are called to be these witnesses We're to shine the light of God in sharing the love and the grace that we have experienced in our own lives to a dark and a lost world. We're to shine our light or the light of God to expose the deeds of the darkness, not to embarrass people, but to help them to see that the the things that they do are fruitless and are wrong. We shine the light of Christ on this world these wrong deeds so that they can see that they are wrong we are to share be salt in the world to show how the pouring of god's spirit into our lives enhances our flavor if you will by making us the kind of people that god created us to be the kind of people that the hopefully other people would want to be if someone gets to know you and like i'm not sure that i want to be like you maybe you need to like look at your life and say am i really being the person? that God created me to be? Am I the loving and the giving and the caring and the, and the, the graceful person that God wants me to be? Do I forgive others do I, or do I hold grudges against them? Am I that salt that enhances my relationship because God is working in and through me? We are to be witnesses to speak the truth in the midst of the flood of lies that exist in our world. We're to show how the gospel is true and how only in Christ we are saved. As our Mexico team was commissioned and sent by this church, we were able to go and share the love and the grace of God to the people in Ensenada. How wonderful it was. Even though there was only four of us, we represented this church. When we showed up to Pastor Gabriel's, it was not just the four of us. It was not just Grace and Christian and Tyler and me. It was South Bay Presbyterian Church was present at Pastor Gabriel's church. They received us as a body in full. So we are commissioned and sent by this church and by God and by Jesus to share the gospel to those who are lost. We are to make disciples of all nations so that they will obey everything that Christ has commanded. To this end, we preach Christ, calling people to repentance, to believe in the gospel. What a great call that is. But it goes a little bit further. Lastly, we are given the task to do several more things. We're called to care for the earth, to serve the poor, to feed the hungry, to visit the prisoners, and to defend the helpless. Jesus gave a very powerful lesson in this in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. He talks about how he will return. And when he returns to this earth, he's going to separate people on his right and his left. The sheep on his right and the, and the goats on his left. And the angels will be with him. And he will speak to the, the sheep on his right and he that say that we will find the blessings of God. And that we will be able to come into God's presence and receive the kingdom inheritance and live for eternity in the very presence and glory of God. And then he gives the reasons for that inheritance. And it's very interesting. He gives the reasons. He says, because of how you have lived after you were saved. Are you doing the things that you should be doing As followers of Christ. But as people, well, we'll read it in Matthew 25, 35-36. Jesus says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Everybody looked at Jesus, and they were thoroughly confused. And they're like, Jesus, when were you thirsty? When did we give you something to drink? When were you in prison? And we That doesn't make any sense. These words are, are nonsense to us. We don't understand what you're talking about. What does this mean? And so Jesus responds in verse 40, and read it with me. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. When we are saved in Christ. We are then to be transformed. And as followers of Christ, we are to do these things. We give something to someone who is hungry. We give them a drink when they are thirsty. Those who are in prison, we need to visit. Those who are, are, are helpless, we need to help. We are called to be these instruments of God. As if we were doing it to Christ himself. We are commissioned by God to care for the earth to serve the poor, to feed the hungry, to visit the, help, uh, to visit the prisoners, and to defend the helpless. God's grace is real. It's shown to us in the creation all around us. Everything is for our enjoyment, but that we need to care for it well as, as well. God's grace is shown to us and that God didn't give up on us when we entered into sin, but he sent his son to die for us so that we could be saved. God's grace is shown to us through the saving death of Jesus Christ. God's grace is shown to us and is choosing us for salvation and transforming our lives. God's grace is shown to us so that we might share it with others. I pray that you would Open your eyes this morning and receive the full understanding of what God's grace is, how he's given your grace, his grace to you, and how he wants you to pass it on. I want you to, to challenge yourself this week. How can I show the grace of God to others? Be ready and be willing. Let us pray.